Let's do some science. We like this discussion from the pages of New Scientist magazine. In pursuit of healthy, chemical-free outdoor pursuits, Sasha Lauer ended up perusing the frequent asked questions at Gossamer Gear's website. She was reassured to read that in the section covering water sterilizing tablets, is there chlorine in chlorine dioxide? Was the question. No, there's no chlorine in chlorine dioxide was the reply. Although chlorine dioxide has the word chlorine in its name, the two chemicals have completely different chemical structures. This prompted the magazine to suggest that Gossamer Gear's copywriters may need to add another frequently asked question. (laughs) Who taught you chemistry? And yes, for the periodic table challenged, the chlorine in chlorine dioxide is chlorine. How about this item from Forbes? The United States is not the most obese nation on Earth. It ranks ninth. According to the International Association for the Study of Obesity, the nations that are even fatter than the U.S. are seven tropical island nations with high-fat diets. Nauru, Micronesia, the Cook Islands, Tonga, Niue, Samoa, and Palau, along with the only non-island nation in the lot, Kuwait. Here's a startling stat from the New York Times. 10%, just 10% of beer drinkers consume 43% of all beers sold. These core beer drinkers average nearly a gallon a day. We like this item from New Scientist. Uh, A paleontologist wrote in to describe how he used to share an office with another professor at Wake Technical Community College in North Carolina. One day, a student came in to complain to his colleague about her poor grade in a term paper. The professor replied that the grade was poor because the student's paper had obviously been plagiarized. He proved the point by citing the original sources for various sentences and paragraphs she had submitted. Sounding both injured and indignant, the student replied, No, I didn't do that. It was the person who wrote the paper for me. Wrote Lamb, there followed a silence in the office of what was probably only about 30 seconds, but what seemed like five minutes as my office mate and I stared at each other, trying to come up with a reply that even came close to doing justice to the situation. And in that great frontier where science meets stupidity, we have the following. A new vaccine can prevent millions of cases of cervical cancer, but only if it reaches those most at risk. That's according to Ann Friedman writing in The American Prospect Online. State legislators across the country are now debating whether to require school-age girls to be vaccinated against the sexually transmitted human papillomavirus, which causes cervical cancer. Conservative Christian groups are lobbying against mandatory vaccination on the grounds that removing the threat of genital warts and cancer would encourage teens to engage in premarital sex. We should remind you that this exact same mentality seemed to have been out there acting when the very first antibiotic, Salversan, was developed by the scientist Paul Ehrlich, which was effective in treating syphilis. The uh, Christians of that era, the conservative types of that era, argued that, you know, if we were going to cure syphilis, this would encourage people to go out and sin more. And let's face it, if you know any teenagers, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old girls, you know they're saying to themselves, boy, 
I would certainly be out there engaging in premarital sex if it wasn't for that concern I have over genital warts and cervical cancer. All right, where science meets stupidity, part two. Article by Carrie Peyton Dahlberg with Sacramento Bee. Smoking marijuana can ease HIV-related nerve pain, UC San Francisco researchers are reporting in a study being hailed by legalization advocates as proof that federal pot policy is deeply misguided. The rigorous study, appearing in the issue of the journal Neurology, was funded by a state effort to provide answers in the long debate over marijuana makes good medicine. Sad that it requires state money because the federal government is very reluctant to do any kind of studies that show that marijuana may have medicinal value. Very sad. But in a related story by Michael Doyle from the B. Washington Bureau, it was noted that uh, medical researchers need more marijuana sources because government supplies aren't meeting a scientific demand a federal judge has ruled. In an emphatic but non-binding opinion, the Drug Enforcement Agency's own judge is recommending that a University of Massachusetts professor be allowed to grow a legal pot crop. The DEA isn't required to follow uh, Judge Bittner's 88-page opinion, but the ruling has resonated uh, in labs and with civil libertarians. Said Alan Hopper, an attorney with the ACLU, the ruling is an important step toward allowing medical marijuana patients to get their medicine from a pharmacy just like everyone else. And in other news regarding substances that are smoked but have been proven to be dangerous, we have the following. Scientists have finally found an instant cure for cigarette addiction, brain damage. When researchers in California and Iowa surveyed a set of 32 smokers who had suffered damage to part of the brain called the insula, they were surprised to find that 12 of them immediately and completely lost their desire for cigarettes. Said researchers, the insula appears to be a translator between the body's physical needs and psychological feelings. This doesn't mean that doctors are going to be doing a surgery to cure chronic addiction uh, to nicotine, but uh, researchers are hopeful that they can knock out this one area with drugs or magnets or electroshock therapy. They can maybe disrupt that whole cycle of addiction. Pretty interesting stuff. How about this item? The romantic scent of the open sea comes from seaweed-munching bacteria, according to a new study. That uh, beach aroma is actually a gas called dimethyl sulfide, or DMS. It's produced when ocean bacteria break down dead sea plants, such as plankton and seaweed. When the plants die off, this particular strain of bacteria rushes to the scene, where it switches on a gene to make DMS, the source of that fishy, tangy smell according to the study's author, Andrew Johnston. Johnston and his team isolated the gene and recreated DMS in the lab for closer study. It's noted that DMS may affect the weather by changing ocean cloud formations. But the researchers found yet another strange property to the gas. It attracts seagulls. Apparently, seagulls are attracted to the scent from miles around. When the scientists opened up a vial of DMS outdoors, they were bombarded by a flock of hungry birds. And some other news out of the AAAS meeting in San Francisco this weekend. Uh, Well, it comes the following, written up by Carrie Peyton Dahlberg in The Bee. For a candy maker, it's a tantalizing vision. The same plant that's fermented and pulverized into chocolate might also maintain sound arteries, protect against cancer and diabetes, and even boost brain power. As researchers outlined the latest word on cocoa at the AAAS meeting, 
The sticky fingerprints of one of the world's largest candy maker were everywhere, and the imprint of UC Davis was not far behind. Mars Inc., the makers of Three Musketeers, Snickers, Milky Way, and M&M's, has spent 18 years on a cocoa crusade hoping to create healthier foods from an ingredient that today, <laughs> I love this line, that today exists in only trace amounts in its most popular candy bar which we suspect at Radio Parallax is the Snickers, although we're not sure. If you do look at the ingredients on the Snickers bar, it's got things like caramel, nougat, peanuts, and milk chocolate, which is, as far as we, we know, doesn't actually contain chocolate. No, I'm just kidding. Mr. McMillan and I have quite a long-running battle over that. Uh, he, he likes uh, milk chocolate for reasons which I'm unable to understand at all. But we would like to point out, for the record, the happy news that when a box of C's chocolate is given to Radio Parallax, there is no fighting over the various delicious confections. But back to the article. Along the way, Mars, Inc. has enlisted the University of California, Davis, as a key ally, funding studies by at least 20 investigators and creating a chair in the nutrition department. University records show that Mars has spent more than $10 million backing cocoa-related research at Davis since 1997. UC Davis and Harvard probably stand as the two major U.S. partners in Mars's efforts to understand cocoa, said Ian McDonald, a professor at the University of Nottingham Medical School. Now, we, we don't want to poo-poo this. I'm sure that, uh, you know, some of these studies that show health benefits uh, have some validity to them, but... It does make people a little bit nervous when you see a uh, someone who stands to, to profit from uh, a product promoting research into why that product is just so darn good. We've only got a couple minutes left. Let's do a few milestones. A couple weeks back, uh, Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira, Ann Mira being Jerry Stiller's wife of more than 50 years, received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. This, cor this correspondent remembers Stiller and Mara as being just a great comedy team, stand-up comedy team, husband and wife. Great appearances back on the old Ed Sullivan show. And uh, how it is the two of them, with their stellar comedy genes, got together to produce Ben Stiller is a complete and utter mystery to this program. As far as we can see, Ben Stiller makes Jim Belushi look funny. Anna Nicole Smith uh, pretty well got covered by the mainstream media. No need to say much about uh, her passing on this show. We would, uh, we would want to comment on uh, Leo McCarthy, the former Speaker of the California Assembly and California Lieutenant Governor. He passed away a couple weeks back. We're going to try and uh, bring someone on the show that worked with uh, Leo McCarthy to tell you a little bit about him. He was uh, quite influential for quite some time. Let's go out with the obituary of Bob Carroll, Jr., the name may not ring a bell, but if you've ever seen a television a situation comedy, uh, you have been influenced by Bob Carroll Jr. Wrote the L.A. Times, Bob Carroll Jr. and Madeline Pugh Davis were walking down a street in Hollywood one day in the 1950s when they noticed a pizza maker in the window of an Italian restaurant tossing pizza dough into the air. Nothing out of the ordinary, but for the comedy writing team, two of the Three original writers on Lucille Ball's top-rated I Love Lucy TV series, it was potential gold. Bob Carroll and uh, Madeline Davis, along with writer Jess Oppenheimer, were the uh, writers of the pilot for I Love Lucy. 
and uh, they were the show's only writers for the first four seasons. During that time, they were responsible for a string of memorably hilarious episodes, including Lucy and Ethel, Vivian Vance. Said Lucy Arnaz, Mom always credited her gifted writers with the unprecedented success of I Love Lucy. As a kid, I certainly was a fan of I Love Lucy and got, uh, got quite a few laughs from numerous episodes. And for that, I say thanks to Bob Carroll Jr. I'm Douglas Everett. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax, and we will see you next week at the same time. We really enjoy going out with, <laughs> with this great theme song to I Love Lucy. <laughs>